0: Kids dismissed to Camp Point Way, uh, 12 and under, I believe. Hey, I got the ages right. You can go ahead and go back. We'll uh, pray quick and then get rolling here. Dearly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for those who are able to join with us this morning. Thank you for those who are not. We just ask that you'd be with them where they are. I ask that you would bless this continued time of worship that uh, the words that I say would not be my words, but they would be yours. That I would be clear and concise. That I would be uh, speaking words that are honorable and pleasing to you, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for this church body and you building your church and bringing them together. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm not the normal guy. You already saw him. Uh, Charlie was doing announcements. But being that he was out, he asked if I would uh, preach this Sunday. I'm one of the elders here, in Bryce. So those of you that don't know me, Hi. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. We're going to take a look in James this morning. Uh, Ike's already got it up there. Thank you. Um, and there's a little bit of pressure because this is one of Charlie's favorite uh, passages, chapters in the Bible, and he's here this morning. So, of course, I didn't think about that when I picked it. So um, we'll see. Hopefully I do it justice <laughs> this morning. Um, all right. So James. James one. One. We're going to start right there. James, a servant of God, or a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. I'm going to stop right at verse one. As so I was starting to look into this, and I'm I'm kind of a dork when it comes to history. I love history. Um, so when I started to do some research, I found some interesting stuff about the Book of James. So. I'll, I'll ask some questions like Charlie does. They aren't rhetorical. So who wrote the book of James? Anybody? James! James. Great. I was hoping that we'd get that one right. Uh, so which James? There's a bunch of James as listed in the Bible. Jesus' brother. Thank you, Jesse. So yes, James, the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus, is who is attributed, anyway, for the most likely to have written the book of James. Pretty much agreed on. Um, There's also a high likelihood that James was probably the first book of the New Testament written. It was probably written in the late 40s, probably between 46 and 49, where most of the other letters don't get written until the 50s or so. So it's probably one of the first letters written to the church, which I, I found interesting. I don't know if anybody else does or not, but that's me. Um, So this is most likely written less than 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's pretty fresh in the the minds of those who were there. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, seems to be a leader, or at least one of the leaders, in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, We can find some evidence of that in Acts 15 when they're talking back and forth and, and James kind of gets his input on a, a dispute that's happening. He was obviously respected and, and one of the leaders there in the early church. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting for me, looking back at who was this and what's going on in the context. Um, this is the same James, the same brother, who most likely was present at the story that we see in Mark 3:20 20, uh, when Jesus' family comes to find him and take him away because he's claiming to be God and they think he's crazy. His, his family comes to get him. James is probably one of those brothers that does that. Don't know for sure. It's a little bit of a, maybe a reach, maybe not. But wouldn't that be the natural response if your half-brother is out there claiming to be God that you're going to go, hey, he's crazy, let's go get him? Um, so he probably was one of these guys that was there. But here he is, A few years later, maybe 20, writing a a letter to the church, something changed in James. Well, what might have changed to change James's mind? Any ideas? What What did he experience or see? Holy Spirit? Everything. Yeah, everything. Literally, he was there and saw Jesus die on the cross. He was there and saw Jesus come back in... Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15.7, it says that Jesus met specifically with James. It's probably the same James when he came back after the resurrection. He had a face-to-face with Jesus, his brother, but not as his brother anymore, as his Savior, as his Lord. That changed things for James dramatically. And early church history tells us that James was martyred. He, He was pushed from the Temple Mount... And the fall didn't kill him. He was beaten to death afterwards. That he was praying for the people who were killing him as this was going on reminds me of of the story of Stephen in many ways. And it was probably about the same time as the story of Stephen, a similar situation. James was changed by an encounter with Jesus. And we can see that in the way he starts this letter. I'm bringing it back. (laughs) He says, James, a servant of God, or a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say... James, the brother of Jesus, he he doesn't claim that. He could have. He doesn't claim an apostle. He doesn't claim any of those things. He claims, I'm a slave to God. That word bondservant, it's a lifelong slave. I'm a slave to God, and I'm a slave to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we can see right away, he starts off, and he's going... I'm laying off these other claims that I potentially have, and I'm saying I'm a slave to God. Something changed dramatically in James, and I thought that was really cool when I was doing this research and I was looking into this more and more. And then he continues on to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, Being how early this letter was probably written and how early we are in the, the Christian church, it's probably mostly Jewish Christians. There's not a lot of Gentiles yet. So that's probably why he says the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, because it's mostly Jewish Christians that are scattered out. But this is a time of great persecution. We're talking Acts, end of Acts 7, beginning of Acts 8, right in there somewhere, Stephen being martyred, or, uh, Stephen being martyred and... Uh, Jewish Christians are fleeing Jerusalem and going out among the the nations, among the world. And it's really the start of the gospel being shared everywhere. And James is writing a letter to that global church. So the cool thing there is, if he's writing a letter to the global church, it includes us. So this letter is for all of us, as much as it is for them at that time. Now I've gone for, I don't know, 10 minutes, and we've gone through one verse. So hopefully I'm not keeping you too long. We'll see. I've got like six pages of notes, so we'll see what happens. At least there's no Vikings game today. We won't talk about that. (laughs) So we're going to continue on, though, into James 1, 2. Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking anything, depending on the, the translation. So much stuff here. Uh, so, trials. Starts off with, with trials. What's a trial, anybody? What do you think of when you think of a trial? Hmm? A problem? Yep. Yeah. What else might be a trial? Testing, I like that one. That's a good one. Hmm? Judgment. Judgment, okay. Yeah, trial, there's a lot of different things that, are, that can be said under trials, but persecution, testing, problems, those types of things. A season when your patience and faith will be stretched and tested is, is one way to, to look at it. So trials include a lot of different things. It might be health, it might be personal relationships, it might be government pressure, it might be, I mean, there, there's a, Various trials, uh, various things. It really does include. But it's, it's going to be a testing of your patience, a testing of your faith, a stretching. Trials, the other thing about trials here, uh, he says whenever you face trials. He doesn't say if you face trials. So it's not an optional thing. We're, we're going to face trials is what James is telling us. And we see that elsewhere that trials are coming. But he does say, consider it pure joy. So we do have an option here. The option we have is how we respond to the trial. That's what our option is. We don't get a choice whether we're gonna go through a trial or not, but we can res- choose how we respond to that. And he asks us to do something that's kinda difficult here. He says, consider it pure joy, but what are other, some, what's some of the other responses we could have to a trial? Well, we could respond in anger, We could respond with discouraged resignation. We could just, the eor response. Or, we can do what James tells us. To consider it joy or to count it as joy. Because, he says, there's a good result. We're going to have more perseverance at the end of the trial. We're going to come back to that benefit in just a second. We're going to focus a little bit more on on trials uh, before we do that. There's an important distinction to be made He's not saying trials are joyful. It's not. Necess- it's not going to be a happy time. There's a difference between happy and joyful. He's saying joyful and considering it joyful is, or, or considering it pure joy. There we go. It's our attitude and approach that we, how we enter into that, is what considering it pure joy is. James says there's a, a relationship between trials and faith. Because he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith. What he's saying there is, when you face a trial, it's going to be testing your faith. So trials test our faith. Trials, another way to look at that is, trials reveal what faith we have, and what we're putting our faith in. They don't necessarily build our faith. This is a distinction. It could, but don't necessarily build our faith. They just reveal what faith we have. They maybe solidify that faith. God already knows how much faith we have, so trials aren't for God, they're for us. Give us kind of a status update on where our faith is at. Uh, to, To kind of extrapolate on that thought and why I'm there, is in Romans 10, 17, it tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So in that vein, if we're looking at that, faith is built... Faith is grown and bolstered by being in God's word. So a trial isn't going to build the faith. We build the faith by being in God's word. And then when we have a trial, it tests that faith and reveals to us what we already know to be true. Trials are an opportunity for us to see and kind of do a gut check of where our faith is at. That makes sense? See some heads nodding, so I can't be too too crazy. Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> Coming back to that benefit of perseverance, it's a good five dollar word. Perseverance. I don't know that we hear it much in society. Maybe we do. Actually, we probably might have if we watched the Olympics recently. Other than that, I can't think of a time where you might hear perseverance in society. Give you kind of a hint of what perseverance means by by that, maybe. Perseverance is an active endurance. Um, also, said, it's the quality to finish a race or to carry out a mission under a heavy load, uh, choosing to endure. That image of an Olympic athlete uh, grinding out to the finish. Think of like the, the marathon runners and that type of stuff and that, that drive to finish to the end. That's what perseverance is. It's a great quality to have. And James is telling us here, hey, if we, if we choose to come into a trial and consider it joy, then perseverance will result. That's the implication that's made here is that perseverance is produced as a result of considering it joy. If we were to come at this trial another way, maybe we wouldn't get that same level of perseverance. We wouldn't learn the same things. So, considering it joy, when we come to a trial with that mindset of, hey, God is going to do a work in my life because of this, in and through this, and an anticipation of what that growth is going to be, we can, we can look at it with that mindset and go, you know what? I don't have to like this trial, but I'm gonna soldier on through it. And in that act, we're going to gain in perseverance. We know God is in control. We know He is good. And He's gonna see us through. And continue on to verse, go back to verse 4 here, I guess. Uh, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Another translation says perfect and complete. Um, and it was interesting, as I was, I was looking into this line, there's a few different, a few different ideas of where this comes from. Uh, one, one commentary from Adam Clark said that he thinks that it's coming from an athletic context, the context of the Greek games or the Olympic games, that an athlete was considered perfect if they won their event, and they were considered complete if they completed the pentathlon, the five events. Interesting idea. Another thought, and and makes sense when you're looking at this as probably a very Jewish Christian church at the time, was the context of animal sacrifice. For an animal to be worthy of sacrifice, it needed to be perfect and complete. Either way, I think it comes to the same realization, whether you look at it from the athletic context of perfect and complete or the animal sacrifice of perfect and complete, it kind of says the same thing. If we, trace, or if we face trials in faith and trust in God, then God can and will do a wonderful work in our lives through these trials. He will bring us to maturity. He will bring us to completion. He's going to make us more like Jesus through trials. That's, that's the end-all, end be-all. He's going to use these trials for a good thing to make us more like Jesus. And isn't that kind of what the whole Christian life is about? Being more like Jesus. It was interesting. I found a quote from Charles Spurgeon on the perspective of uh, his perspective on trials. I think it might be beneficial as well. Um, so he said, "I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then." and to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God's God at work as I saw him then. I don't know about you, but I can resonate with that. Um, uh, we, that doesn't mean we have to seek after trials. I know, at least for myself, um, I find plenty of trouble in trials just naturally. I don't have to go looking for them. Um, but I certainly can look back at the trials that have happened in my life Those hard times, another analogy, those valleys, those hard things. And I can see God's faithfulness. I can see God's strength at work. I can see him doing things in my life in and through those trials. And even though I would never want to go through them again, I can appreciate those trials in hindsight. Because they prepared me for other things. They prepared me for another trial down the road, or an opportunity that God had for me. And I can see God was taking some of those rough edges off. There's still plenty to go, but he was taking off some of those rough edges. It, it encourages me for the future when I look back on those trials, on those hard times. Where does growth happen? It happens in the valleys. It doesn't happen up on the mountaintops. It happens in the valleys can't help but think of your guys' town that you're talking about, a valley between two mountains. God's going to do work there because it's in the valley where growth happens. We're going to move on to to verse 5. Before I do... uh, James takes a little excursion, maybe, a little rabbit trail, and it may not be at first that the connection is super obvious, but I think it's, it's definitely there, and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. He was talking about trials, and now he's talking about wisdom, and... Like I said, I don't know that it's at first obvious, but when we think about trials, what do we need when we come, when we're going into a trial? Well, the last three verses was talking about the mindset and counting it joy and relying in, relying on God, faith and trust in Him. But there's another thing that we need. I also need wisdom when I'm going through a trial. That's the time when it's most apparent to me. I need God's wisdom. So there is definitely a correlation between these, these, these verses and where he goes next. Why might I need, need wisdom? Well, maybe I need to see, is, is this a trial that God is going to remove from my life? He does that. It's not often, but he does. Or is this a trial that I need to fight through with God's strength? That's, that's wisdom. We need that wisdom. Depending on the sort of trial, you might need wisdom on, on the choice to make on the answer to give when you're asked a question, when you're in persecution, or when you're in, in, in a, a trial. The stance you take. How hard you push. I mean, those are just some examples. It all requires wisdom that, quite frankly, I lack. So what do we do? James tells us. He says, ask for God's wisdom from God. Trials expose a need for wisdom. And God gives us that wisdom. Um, If we ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it generously, is what James says. And without reproach or without um, finding fault, God isn't going to say, shame on you for having to ask for wisdom. He's going to go, here you go. Here's wisdom. So, but... Another little caveat where is the fundamental place that we are going to get wisdom from any ideas and the word of god thank you kind of going back to that passage i mentioned back in in romans romans 10 17 if i remember correctly the faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of god God's Word. So when we ask for God to give us wisdom, there comes a, a challenge to us that we also dive into His Word, because that's where we're going to get the wisdom from, is from His Word. I'm not saying that God couldn't audibly give you wisdom through a voice. He certainly has done that in the past, could do that in the future, but it's not normative. We know for sure that God will give you wisdom through His Word. We look for wisdom in all kinds of places when we're going through trials. I mean, it's like, oh, let's go ask an expert. Silly us thinking that anybody here on earth is an expert when we have the ear of God. We go, oh, I'm going to talk to my friends. I'm going to talk to a coworker. I'm going to, I'm going to go to YouTube and, and look up. I mean, we have all these places we go. James tells us, forget all that. Go to God. He's the one who has all wisdom, and he's going to share it with you. Let the, word, the truth of God's word build and impart wisdom as we work and struggle through the trial. Let the trial build and strengthen our resolve, our perseverance, and in turn become more like Christ. And then we can be encouraged after that trial as we see the strength of God working in and through it, his goodness working in and through it, his faithfulness working in and through it. There's another caveat to this though, if we continue on in verse 6, 6 through 8, it says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not to expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. That's a hard, hard passage. Ask, but don't doubt, because if you doubt, you're not getting it. And that's the way I read it. It's like, how do we ask and not doubt? Ask in faith without doubting his desire or ability to give it. God's word tells us over and over that he wants to give us good gifts. He wants to give us wisdom. He wants to do those things. He's a good father. So this is definitely a challenging thing to do, but we can take heart in the fact that God is good and that God has been faithful and that God will be faithful the imagery of, the, of a wave being tossed to and fro is, is interesting to me. I think of, think of the lakes around here, and these are nothing compared to the ocean, but when the wind really picks up, and you get waves, and you get these white caps, and they're tossed to and fro, and if you're out in a boat, what that feels like, or if you're on the shore watching those waves come in, they crash into the shoreline or a rock. They Also, they, those waves, they don't really hold up. They can do a lot of destruction, but as soon as they hit the rocks, they fall apart. They have no real substance or form, they don't stand firm. They can reach high heights, they can reach low lows, but when it comes to hitting those rocks, they just fall apart. How does that compare with a person who comes asking God for wisdom but lacks faith? I think it's a powerful imagery. The wave of a sea is without rest, it's unstable, it's driven by the winds and outside forces, it's capable of much destruction, in so that the same way is someone who doubts. It's a really hard gut check. I think of the person, or maybe the less mature me, at least hopefully less mature me, who, who rides the highs and then crashes into the lows. Uh, they may not verbalize it, but the way they're acting and thinking is, is that of, what have you done to, for me today, God? That, that just in the here and now, and not thinking about the history that we have with God and his faithfulness, his goodness. So apt to forget the goodness of God and how he's proved himself faithful and over and over and over again. That double-minded man, it's a hard thing. What, is, what does that mean? When you, when you look at double-minded and you look, well, just to ask God shows that we have some faith, right? If you didn't have any faith at all, would you ask God for wisdom? Okay, okay. But to ask with doubt show that we have some unbelief yet still too. That's where that double mind come in That's a, that's a hard balance. And, and it's God saying, James saying, "Hey, get rid of the doubt. Trust God." This, this line and this way of thinking automatically brought me back to it's Mark 9:24. A uh, man comes to Jesus and asks for healing for I believe it's his daughter. Uh, He says, "Lord and 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 God," he says, "If you can help my my daughter." And and Jesus says, "If." And and the response from the man is, "Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief." This isn't double-minded. That's the first thing I thought of. He's acknowledging that he believes, he wants to believe, he declares his belief, and he acknowledges that his faith is weak, that he needs a stronger faith. There's a difference between that response and being double-minded. And it's a, it's a fine line, and it's hard to really explain, but there's, there's a difference there. It's not saying that we can't go, God, my faith is weak, but I know you're good. That's very different from, God, help me through this, and then I'm going to hedge my bet over here. There's a lot of stuff in these eight verses. It's one of those things that as I was preparing, I was looking, I'm like I could probably do a sermon just on the first four and spend plenty of time and, and barely scratch the surface. It's really an interesting, and if you go into James and you do a study of James there's so much good stuff in here. I can understand why it's one of Charlie's favorite passages. It's for us. It's, it's so true today, and I can't help but think about what's on the horizon for us as believers and, and trials to come. I mean, God tells us in his word that trials are coming and that as, as we get closer and closer to his return, it's going to become more and more difficult for us. There's going to be more and more trials. So we can look at this and, and take heart. I guess that is, that is my, my thought. James, the brother of Jesus, he's one of the people that should have been Jesus' biggest skeptics and probably was at for a time. Who, who would be a greater skeptic than the half-brother of Jesus? But he became one of his biggest proponents. He wrote this letter to the global church, and I feel like it's to encourage us to face persecution, to face trials, even to the point of death, and to face them In faith and trust in God that we can and should face these trials in that way that they're coming and that God's going to use these trials for our good he's going to use these trials for our growth and development he's going to use these trials to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ and we can ask of God with utmost assurance and he's going to give us exactly what we need to make it through As I'm coming into closing here, trials will come, but take heart because God is good and he's going to do a good work in you. When you need wisdom, ask in faith without doubt and he will give it to you freely. As kind of a side note, pro tip at the end, that faith and wisdom that we need, we can find it already in our Bibles. That's where that, those things come is from, from our Bibles. We can get a jump start on building our faith and building our wisdom by spending time in his word. So as we head out from here today, the worship team comes up to sing our last song, I would encourage you, one, look back at those trials that you've had in your life. Uh, this last couple of weeks I've been thinking about trials that I've gone through, that we've gone through as, a, as an individual, as a family, as a church, and I've been able to see God's hand working in and through those times. And I've been encouraged. I've been encouraged, especially in in light of, of trials that are coming, and I can see coming down the road. I can take encouragement in what he's done in the past. So be encouraged, but also to urge you, get in your Bibles. Start working on building that faith through the Word of God. Start working on building that wisdom through the Word of God. Let's get out ahead of these things and... And then when those trials come and we get to see that faith, we can, we can look and see how good God has been and how faithful he has been and how much we've grown. So be encouraged. Be in the word. You guys want to come forward and I'll, I'll uh, pray quick as they're coming up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that is in your word the encouragement that is in your word, the call to growth that is in your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that that, uh, can speak to us in and through your word. And we thank you for this body of believers who can also come alongside and encourage and disciple and call us on to further and greater things, Lord. And as we head out from here, I just ask that you would help us to uh, spend time focusing on who you are, your goodness, and your faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us if you can.